Hola. Welcome to episode 22 of Word to Your Mama. Today we have Emmy Award-winning producer Linda Morrell. She won the Emmy for Key and Peele. She just wrapped up a Black Lady sketch show, second season on HBO. And uh, we talk about an ongoing theme with a lot of guests on Word to Your Mama, the nonlinear career path. She was in music for a long time. Uh, she did casting, all different types of things. But she found her groove and her love producing sketch comedies, comedies in general. So we get into how she spent her pandemic, you know, the pandemic year. Um, we get to learn so much about her rad uh, mom, Shola's Never Die. And we just get into how it's necessary to really cultivate people of color within this industry. And uh, she's she's amazing. It was great to catch up. And I look forward to hopefully seeing her and her wonderful husband once it is safe. Once it is safe, because please believe it, we're still in a pandemic, peeps. <laughs> uh, pandemic fatigue won't make it go away. So anyways, let's get into this amazing conversation with Linda Morale. Like this is something, you know what I mean? To, yeah. to to get me going. It calms me down and stuff like that. But I'm so excited to see you. Thank you so much. I know you're super busy. So I was like so excited that, oh, no. that you had time to fit me in to to do this. And I haven't seen you in forever. I know. It's For- weird. I, I'm thinking like Chaz and Christina have to have been married now for like 10 years. <laughs> right? Minimum. I don't even so that's kind of one. First, I wanted to start off with, how are you doing? I know you're out and about working, but still, it affects us all. How are you doing with everything this past year? Lockdown, unrest, this trash <clears throat> administration. How are you doing? Um, I actually, uh, March 13th last year, we were a week away from shooting the second season of a Black Lady sketch show. I was out scouting and HBO called and said, you're getting shut down. We're all getting shut down. And we were literally at, a, at an elementary school on the west side scouting. And they called and said, you have to leave now Ugh. and send everybody home. Grab what you can from the office and bounce. And they told us two months, um, which everybody else in the industry was being told two weeks. So when I said two months to my to my team, they were like, two months? And I was like, I think they're being realistic, you know, and uh, everybody else was like, no, we'll be back in two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. Um, It wasn't two weeks. It wasn't even two months. Um, (laughs) But on March 13th is when that was our last day of of work. Um, March 17th, I took my mom to the emergency room because she was uh, very puffy and she wasn't feeling good. And it's like the scariest thing that you'll ever do. My mom was 80. Oh, wow. Um, she's wow. 81 now, but she she was 80 at the time. And I took her to Kaiser and they took her from me. Mm-hmm. And they were like in hazmat suits and they're like, you can't come in. And I watched them wheel my mom away from me through the window. Like it was just like a bad movie, Ugh. right? And they said, call in two hours. So I called in two hours. Uh, they said she was being admitted and that I could check with the doctor in another few hours or whatever. Uh, I was able to go and see her the next day. And when I was there, I was hearing this fluid in her 
when she was talking and I've heard it before cause she's had pneumonia before. Mm. So they were taking her for an x-ray and, um, like a chest x-ray. And I told the nurse like, this is new, you know, with yeah. whatever this is. And she said, okay, I'll let the doctor know. So they took her and they said, you know, once you leave, you can't come back. And I was like, okay. okay. So my mom was like, don't worry, I'll be fine. Um, she didn't seem out of it to me, but now when I talk to her, she doesn't remember any of this, which is good. Um, but they called me an hour, like literally an hour later and said, your mom just went into respiratory distress. She authorized for us to intubate her. And now um, she's on a respirator and we're doing a COVID test and we're doing all this stuff, but she's in ICU. I was like, okay, fine. Meanwhile, my brother's in New York, my younger brother, my older brother's in Orange County. We get together and it was, um, she did not have COVID, which was amazing. Uh, she had a, a very rare type of pneumonia that most people don't survive, but wow. she is an old Chola man. I swear she's a fighter. <laughs> so she, uh, you know, she's from Echo Park. Cholas um, never die. <laughs> right? Oh, I have to, I'll find this picture. I got to send it to you. So when she got better, I, I have to send this picture to you. Anyway, um, yeah, so that was six weeks of watching my mom um, on an iPad because I left her phone and her iPad there and the nurses and doctors were so amazing. They would just answer it and let me talk to her and, oh, and watch. She wow. wasn't conscious or anything, but we would call three times a day and just look at her. And so, you know, through through this whole thing and thinking about other people, you know, who are watching their parents, their husbands, their wives, their kids, whoever, grandparents through a screen in a hospital, to me, that's the worst thing that you can ever experience because you can't be there for them. You can't touch them. You can't talk to them, you know? So, um, that was six weeks and then she got out of the hospital and we had to turn her apartment into a, um, a hospital room basically. And, And the next eight months of my life was getting my mom back out of that bed and walking. And she, um, turned 81 in September and, uh, I have video of her now doing lunges, you know, come on. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So basically what happened is after, you know, during her recovery, she lost so much weight that she is no longer on insulin. Hmm. She's no longer on blood pressure medication. She's no longer on anything. So it's really a testament of like, well, her and how strong she is, but like really those, those things that come in and now, especially in our communities, right. Please believe uh, it. Are so linked to weight and movement and food. how you feel your body and food and what we eat and all that stuff. So she's, she's teeny tiny now. And she you know? feels better. She's doing lunges. Oh yeah, no, she's doing great. So I'm like pandemic. What? You know, the only difference for me was that we were masked the whole time because we had these amazing nurses and caregivers coming to help me. Um, so, so yeah, that that whole year, when I think about first pandemic year, I think about my mom going down and then this whole journey of getting her back to actually healthier than what she was before. That's so amazing. I wasn't as affected. Uh, as most people. And that was a long winded story. Sorry about that. But no, I uh, love that. This is what we're talking about. It's just a convo. It's just a convo. I love that. Yeah. So it's, it, it, it didn't affect me as badly as other people. And especially her now that she's been 
well and better. She still has our, we call her her trainer now, but her physical therapist <laughs> that comes, you know, my, my cousin who doesn't go anywhere, she comes up every Saturday to cook with my mom, you know, and, and hang out with her. And so my mom's not suffered that COVID fatigue that a lot of people have. Like we've been really able to, to, um, at least, you know, be around her and see her and stuff. So I feel really lucky for all the horrible things that we went through, um, to be where we're at today is pretty awesome. And then of course, as she's getting better, I get the call that like, Hey, you guys are going back in September and, um, you know, I need you to, to start putting together all these COVID protocols. So that was a whole other part of my job that started. And, um, and it was frightening to think about going out and shooting in this environment. Cause it was really at the, the peak. The and peak. I was like, are you yeah. going to let us do this? In LA, the, especially in LA. <laughs> right. All on location. We weren't in a controlled environment. So, um, that's scary. It was, but we did it. We did it with um, 17 COVID people on my team. Uh, 11 of them were nurses. Oh, wow. um, testing every day. Double masking since day one. Um, Hand washing stations every 30 feet where you can get to one. Nice. Uh, the way we were served food became really civilized and it was like handed to you boxed and, and it was no longer like, you know, okay. catered style. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I felt like in general, because we were so careful that people were just being healthier. And, and so I've seen a big upside to COVID where I think people are like, this is awful, horrible and whatever it is awful, horrible. And obviously people are losing their lives, but if you have to look at an upside of it, it's made us more conscious of our surroundings, yes. you know, of, of what we touch, what we eat, what we not. And, and you can point that as being paranoid, right. But also just more common sense. Yeah. You know, I've always been that one that wipes down the airplanes when I get on Same. because people are nasty. People are hella nasty. <laughs> Pre COVID. Yeah. During COVID nasty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm so happy that, I mean, that your mom made it to the other side and she's healthier than ever. Um, and that, you know, the upside of that, your production shut down. So you were able to just to focus on your mom is looking back, especially now I'm sure is a gift and that you were able to just focus on that and not let the other shit fuck you up. Like it did a lot of us because you were just like, I got more important shit. I got my mom. Yeah. And, and that's the great focus. Like for me, my savior was having a small, uh, an eight year old, you know what I'm saying? Cause I know if I was by, even with the husband, you know, Rocky, you know him. And I think we would have gotten sick and I would have still felt alone. Like, you know how you could do as, as people that creatives yeah. that work independently, but to have someone that you can focus your attention on, it kind of sucks you out of it. Even if you, you're uh, impacted by it, you're just like, uh, uh-uh, I gotta, you know, this is my focus. And, yeah. and that's a gift, you know, that's a huge gift. And during the pandemic, I was making sure to check on any, um, of my friends that are family that are sing were single, you know? Yeah. Because I can't, I know if I was single, living by myself in LA, 
it would have been a wrap. Like it would have been hard. So yeah. it was like check on your peoples, you know, all this stuff like that. And I also wanted to backtrack on what you said, especially very important um, about in our communities. You know, this is something that I, I, we talk about with different guests on here as well. And I make a I make a point like if I have someone on that's an artist, we they get or whatever they they're they're into what their profession is. We talk a little bit about that, but we also talk about um, health mental health, all that stuff, especially within our communities, right? Because it's something that's not talked about as much. And and a good example is you talking about this, right? Someone's going to listen to this and hear this story and, and it could start, it could be the catalyst to something, right? And when I talked to uh, episode six guest Kano, who's Latino and he needs animation, and I want to make sure that he made a point to talk about his health journey that started the beginning of the year before uh, the pandemic. Because I heard, I was watching um, Esteban on a, on a live Instagram, right, with LA Taco. And I was like, here's someone that's from the neighborhood that's looked up and regarded by so many people of his age group and younger, of people that never talk about health, mental health, physical health, and food. And L.A. Taco was like, you know, um, L.A. Taco is a, a kind oh, of like I'm a news site. Girl. I paid. Right? You're, you, you know, for those who are listening, like, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing news site that really is about the community. And they were asking, they have like a, a March Taco Madness thing. So they're asking, like, what's your favorite taco? He's like, well, before I could eat meat. So then he goes into how he almost lost his leg, how now he's vegetarian and how he because I remember seeing him walking around with the cane back like at different shows. And I was like, oh, I want maybe he fucked up his leg or something. But no, he was having like uh, nerve damage. And he was saying that the doctor was like, you need to change, either change the way you eat or you're going to lose a leg. Yeah. And so he here's this guy who everyone's tuning into because he's like looked at as like the hard dude in the scene. And he's talking about he wished he would have changed his, the way he ate 20 years ago. Right. And now he has his leg. He could walk. And like those are the kind of things that need to go down and people need to hear from our community. So yeah. I loved the story of your mom being healthier than ever, like the upside of this COVID thing. Yeah. Yeah. No more medications. Boom. Like I try to remember, I try to tell people in my family and just all around, I preach the gospel of uh, food is medicine. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear that. And I mean, Carlos and I, um, we we're, I'm, we're so matched in this way where it's like, we'll be down for uh Del Taco one day. <laughs> we'll be down for street tacos, but then we'll, you know, order very healthy things. Like if we're ordering in and things like that, like we have a very good balance because, because I also am diabetic. And so I've had to change up things for me. It's been, um, being physical. Right. So I think it's about four in January. It was five years actually. Uh, we both started at Orange Theory Fitness, which I was like, oh, good. It's a one hour class. They talk you through it. It's great. And I stuck with it. We stuck nice. with it. Um, and it really set the foundation for for me being physical. Now, I'm 53. You don't uh, look it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but 
I'm actually in better shape now than I was in my 30s or 40s. And it's because for me, it was really less about the food, more about, I mean, it's never less about the food. It was more about balance, right? Yeah. About um, exercise. And I was always told you can't outrun a bad diet. So if you're seeing, (laughs) if you're seeing results and you're seeing yourself get stronger and healthier, um, that that's a, a big part of it. And then I don't feel so horrible if I have something that's not, you know, a nice leafy green vegetarian meal like that. I don't, cause I don't want to live like that either Exactly for me personally. And it's, it's about balance, but what I've done now is, um, and actually this, this is really important too. my younger brother, who's also a producer in New York used to say to me all the time that his editor who had kids would be like, Oh, it's seven o'clock. I got to go. I got to get my kids, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, and then I'm here till 11 o'clock. And I said, okay, but what about those days where you, where you say, I got to go. Cause I'm going to go work out for an hour. And then you could come back and work till 11 o'clock at night. Like, why are you not taking that time for you? Yeah. Why, is, why is it okay for somebody who's a parent to, to have a boundary and not you just because you don't you have, don't a, kid, have a kid. Yep. It's, you shouldn't have to not have these boundaries of like, I need some, some self-care time for me. Yep. And if that means sweating for a half an hour or an hour, then that's what you do. And for years we had this conversation. It finally clicked in him <laughs> because I got him going to Orange Theory in New York <laughs> and he got the habit, right? It becomes, becomes a habit. So in that re- regard, working the stupid hours that we work or whatever, I, I will find that time to physically move around and, uh, or like on Sundays, Carlos and I will take a three and a half mile walk with our dog where it's like no phones. We just have conversations and, um, balance. It's all about that. That's what it is. And it's a lifestyle change. Like you can't just change what you eat and not move. You can't just move and not, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what we do too. Like, oh, we were had to have some of this, uh, you know, like processed shit, but the next day, let's let's vegetarian it out for the day, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. And then, like, we'll do the meat again, da da da, da And, yeah, it's definitely a balance. balance. So I wanted to kind of talk about we met, right, correctly through Chaz and Christina. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard Duardo, through the whole connection there. I knew Richard. I met Chaz and Christina through Richard, um, who I miss I miss terribly. Um, but he, yeah, he actually, he actually opened a lot of doors in terms of relationships and meeting some of the most amazing people. And, um, I worked with him for a while back in the nineties and, uh, he's the one that kind of introduced me to this whole art world. And ironically, when Carlos and I met in 2005, um, because I had all this knowledge from, Richard and like I was so into to the art that he was putting in front of me. Carlos already had all that knowledge, so <laughs> you know because he was a super fan. So, um, so yeah, I think all roads lead back to Richard Duardo. But yes, through Chaz and Christina, I think is when I first met you. Yeah, that was great. And I was tra- talking to Rock about it, and I was like, I was like, man, we haven't seen him in forever. And I think we had we had dinner at their house. Yeah. That house that they don't have anymore, but that house, yeah. I remember that was great. I mean, it was just like, I'm sure like Carlos probably felt the same way. It was like, um, 
I'm at Jazz's yeah. house right now. That's, yeah. I have one too. You know the little cards from their wedding? Please we believe have them, it. We have them framed and they're in my hallway right by my bedroom. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, man, he's, they're just amazing people. Yeah. And I have like my name that he did before the wedding. He did Ritzy and I have it on my forearm. And like, I'm like, I'm at his house and I have his stuff tattooed on my body. Like, this is crazy right now. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I wanted to find out. So you, you mentioned, did you grow, were you, did you grow up in Echo Park? No, I grew up in Eagle Rock. In Eagle Rock. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Eagle Rock. Uh, my, my dad was from Puerto Rico from via New York. Oh, um, wow. and my mom actually, my grandmother was born in Mexico, but, but, uh, came to Denver. My mom was born in Denver and they moved to Chavez Ravine um, back in the day. And when they all got booted out, mm-hmm. you see where everybody settled, right? Chinatown, yeah. uh, Little Armenia, around Hollywood. Like everybody came down. And um, my family on my mom's side settled in Echo Park. So one day I was driving with my mom. This was probably like, I don't know, 10 10 or 11 years ago, I was driving with my mom through Echo Park. I was like, look, mom, there's white people in Echo Park. She was, they were all white people when we moved down here. <laughs> they, they, all bound. they did the white flight, great white flight. <laughs> yeah. She, she, she's got roots there, you know? Um, but yeah, so they were all, and then my mom's older sister was married to my dad's older brother. So two sisters, two brothers, um, so half of Echo Park was my family at that point. <laughs> right. Because they all lived within like, you know, three houses of each other. That's uh, amazing. I grew, in, I grew up in Eagle Rock and my dad bought that house for its proximity to Dodger Stadium because he was a huge Dodgers fan. So um, grew up in Eagle Rock um, and then spent, I mean, I, I lived pretty much all over L.A. I never really went west except for like a couple of years where I was in Manhattan beach. But for the most time, I've always stayed on the East side and now we live in Altadena. In Altadena. Which is basically the East side North. <laughs> yeah. I, I have another friend that lives in Altadena, um, which, which I didn't know about till I got lost trying to go kind of close to JPL. That's where I live. Yeah. And then, so like, I kind of, I was like, Oh, what is this? I've always heard of Altadena. Cause I'm not from LA. So I was like, Oh, and then I was like, Oh, this is cute. Like it's kind of naturey and stuff. If yeah. I'm correct, the part that I was in. Um, so what what do you think is your what was your root of like, oh, I want to get into entertainment? Because another common theme is that the nonlinear career path, right? Because the yeah. the the research that I did tell me if I'm wrong, you started off doing well, I don't know where you started, but I, I know that you were like William Morris, you did music casting like so many different things but it's all entertainment what was your route growing up have you ever thought of that like what was your like I want to do that shit um you know what my route growing up I for some reason I thought I wanted to be a kinesiologist <laughs> I was really into science and and uh heading down that path and when I was 18, I got a job as, um, through a friend of mine as what they would call a floater mm-hmm. at a talent agency, which was triad, uh, in century city before it became part of William Morris. 
But um, Triad was known for their music um, roster. They had all the big, big, big names back then, which is why William Morris bought them. But um, so I, I just kind of got immersed in that, in that situation at a talent agency, and I really um, connected with it socially. Mm. You know, I loved music. I loved. Um, I worked in half-hour comedy, so the agent I worked for. Um, packaged and sold Roseanne ah. uh, originally. So there, I mean, so I got a lot of, uh, education in comedians and how they go from stand up to TV, you know, or stand up to film. Um, and just the whole agency business was fascinating to me. And so I was going to like junior college, but then I had this job and that job started to kind of take over, um, then I went to, uh, they went to William Morris. I went with them and that just kind of started me, uh, in an area of TV packaging where I met culture clash, Amazing, uh, Toya and Rick Salinas and the agent I worked for said, uh, you know what? You'll get these guys. You'll get them. <laughs> like, come, come see the show. I want you to help me develop whatever. And so I did. And then I was like, started doing a hit list of like, who would be good producers for this? Like, how could we package this and sell it? Um, and uh, we put them together with these two guys that were doing a show called Comic Strip Live. And they were very liberal and um, they were very white, but they got it. And so we packaged it and sold the show. And that agent said, these guys are going to offer you a job. I don't know if you want to stay with the agency, but you'll probably have to go through the um, trainee program, which I was already far beyond that. Um, and then Richard Montoya called me and said, I don't want to offer you an assistant position because that's not, you know, you should be coming out. So he said, how about casting? Do you like casting? I mean, you work at a talent agency. And I was like, sure. <laughs> And I called the guy at the theater who I actually, um, they were at this theater for probably six months. And I started a friendship with this guy named Steve Adams, who uh, used to actually do casting. And I was like, dude, help me. I don't know what this job <laughs> is. Um, and I walked in first day, like working girl, right? Where I went to sit on the assistant's desk and they're like, uh, that's your <laughs> office over there. And I was like, oh. <laughs> um. And it's weird to think back now because I actually just found this box of um, stuff that I've had forever. And some of them were the breakdowns that would come out like through facts, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I had people audition for me, which now I think is really funny. Um, uh, God, what's his name? He's on the Mayans now. He was on. Uh... Oh, my God, I can't think of his name. So embarrassing. Uh, anyway, there was a bunch of Latino actors that were just kind of up and coming that auditioned for Culture Clash, and I have like all of their stuff. <laughs> so weird. Um, Diane Rodriguez, who actually sadly passed away last year, but um, you know she was the creative director of Center Theater Group, and I have her her card that's got her photo and her resume on the back. So there was like a lot of people that came through there, um, and I did. I think one season with them casting and then they made me an associate producer because I hated casting. <laughs> and then 
through Richard Montoya is how I met Richard Duardo. That, and that all makes sense. Yeah. That kind of starts snaking through. Um, you know, I did this concert with them and then I met a, a bunch of people in the music industry. And then I ended up at Universal Amphitheater. That was uh, my but, first office. Was it? Yep. Who did you work with there? I worked with, um, I worked for Universal and then they got bought by House of Blues Concerts. And then that was my first office was there where, where Harry Potter is no longer there. Harry it's Potter. Harry Potter yeah, is now. I yeah. I worked in that office too. Yeah. I worked in that office too. Um, well, that, that was, that was a fun time. That was a really fun time. Um, and then from there I had a friend call me from Warner Records that was like, Hey, there are these two Latinas, um, they're artist development people and they need an assistant. We think you would be really good for them. And I went and I met them. Um, one was Katrina Fernandez. The other one was Marina Rota. And um, my first day with Katrina, she said, learn everything you can because I'm leaving this business. And I was like, <laughs> oh, she's like, and I want to I want to make sure that you're set up to do this job like you can do this job. And she did. She left to produce films. And then I got promoted. Um, and I stayed there for almost nine years. Oh, shit. Staying competitive in these dynamic times means having the right technology at work for your small or medium-sized business. Whether your goal is to grow, downsize, or modernize, Panoply BPO provides the right combination of tools, support, and affordability necessary to make it a reality. Visit panoplybpo.com. That's P-A-N-O-P-L-Y-B-P-O.com to schedule your no-obligation consultation today. Mention WTYM and get your 13th month of service for free. Panoplybpo.com. There is a better way. I thought you just like dipped into the music, but you were there for a while. I was like half my life was in music. So I worked internationally. So I was in based in England uh, a lot. But yeah, I know I worked with um, Deftones and Neil Young, Shaka Khan. (laughs) Um, You know, it was the 90s. It was kind of an amazing time in music. Yes. Um, So... Then when I left Warner's, I was kind of working with these DJs and doing remixes and stuff. And um, I got an opportunity to go back into TV, but it was for the Latino Laugh Festival for Showtime. Mm -hmm. And the guy that created that also created Brothers Garcia for Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. So by the end of that festival, he knew who I was and he was like, I want you to, to come and work on my TV show. And I was like, I haven't been in TV for 10 years. And at that, I wasn't doing what this kind of scripted show was. And so he, he wrote a letter and got me in the union. And, um, and I started as a production coordinator there. And the line producer, who sadly had to hire me because I was terrible, because I was learning the job, <laughs> yeah. uh, is still one of my dearest friends. Um, actually, I just hired her wife on my last show. <laughs> nice. And um, yeah, I, my whole trajectory has been through the hustle. Yeah. You know, and that's what I try to do now with like a lot of these kids that are coming up and working as PAs or, you know, my current assistant is 
is you don't have to be, you don't have to go to film school and all that stuff. Like come in and learn the job and then hustle your way up. Yeah. And, um, and I'm lucky cause I've found a few that it's <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Half of them are trying to pay their student loans and the other half are like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't go and spend all that money. You know, they're doing the same thing, getting paid the same amount of money. So, But that having that debt, built-in debt. Yeah. But it sounds like from the story, your story, it's like it was you hustling, but also it sounds like people saw something in you that maybe you didn't see at the time. Like, oh, you're like, I've never done that before. But they're like, no, no, you, you could do this. Yeah. Uh, it's very simple. It's not rocket science. Um, do your job. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's so amazing to me when I look around sometimes and I'm like the people who are like, Oh my God, they're so good. Yeah. They're doing their job. Basic. Exactly. Exactly. They're, They're doing their job with pride, with, with diligence, with like, this is your job. Do it well. Do it well. right. And if you don't know, ask. And if right. you, if you, you like, you know, working artist relations for Coachella and Stagecoach for so many years, you know, my homegirl who runs, who was running that, Shaney, who I hope to have on in a future episode, you have to hire certain people that are not going to freak out with the talent that know people in the industry that maybe they're, 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 um, they're not performing or their clients are performing, but you know, the agents and the managers, you know, all that stuff. Like, you yeah. know, you want to show them a good time and, you know, know their names. Blah, blah, blah. So you want to hire those types of people. But on top of that, you also want to hire what she calls figure it outness. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, to not I be babysat. It's it. like, she's like, you, she's like, who do you know? Like, I need to hire someone. Do you know someone do you recommend that has that figured outness? Yeah. And if you fuck up, you're not going to be asked to come back the next year. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Because it's, that's what you need, right? Because there's, you have to ask when, when possible, when you absolutely don't know. But a lot of it is, co- I think a lot of it is common sense. Yes. But it's, it's interesting though, because someone could have some common sense, but not necessarily use it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and I like to always, I always start people off here, right? I'm going to put you up here at the top in the beginning. And you're either going to stay there or you're going to think. And if you stay there, then you get to the next level and you get to the top, right? Um, and and it's, it's really, really interesting to me. Um, Carlos once said to me, we were talking about someone. He was like, yeah, uh, don't talk about it. Be about it. Yeah. Right. That, that's a big thing for me. I don't want to hear about, Oh, on my last movie or I do big features. Okay. You're still a PA though, bro. (laughs) Right. You're still doing. Let me see what you're going to bring to this project. (laughs) Right. You know, I expect more of you then if that's the case. Exactly. You. So, um, I always feel like any of the opportunities, uh, my brother had a friend that, that wanted to be in the industry. She thought she wanted to be an editor. She has a master's in finance from like Yale and she wanted to be. And the thing is, she's really smart, but she did not know how to figure certain things out because she was a very linear thinker. So numbers make sense, right? Numbers always come out the same, no matter what you do. Yeah you can get to, to the same thing. 
this, there's too many variables, right? Yeah. And so a lot of it, I'm, I'm going to say like 60% of it is your personality and what you're willing to do and how hard you work. And the other 40% is, you know, some knowledge, but yeah. knowledge you can get. And I always feel like those opportunities came to me because I wasn't talking about it. I was just doing yeah. the damn thing. And I've had many times, let me tell you how many times I'm on a show and somebody thinks that I'm, well, maybe <laughs> 10 years ago, they would be like, oh, I thought you were a PA, right? Because yeah. I'll move a trash can because I'll get something, you know, I'm not sitting up there pointing at shit. The other thing is um, I get, <laughs> somebody walked up to me and said, and said, hey, they're calling for, um, for makeup and hair. <laughs> I said, well, they're across the street over there. You should probably grab them, you know? And the PA was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were in makeup. And my <laughs> guy's like, uh, this is the producer. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And so I, I don't put myself above anybody that I'm working with. That PA is just in, as important to me as this director. Yeah. Right? Because I have expectations of you um, when you're here to work. Yeah. And you're right. Like you just, you can go to Yale, but you don't got that, uh, you know, the street smarts to figure it outness and stuff like yeah. that. And, and I realized that quick before I even like, you know, my first job was for Nate dog. But when I moved to LA, I got into, you know, the activist scene and I was asked to help out on this one concert at the El Rey. It was, a um, art speaks, refuse and resist against police brutality and so I was like helping before that, like book certain things. And I, they're like, just come in and see how you can help. And then so I see a list of all these different things or like, oh, the piano rental, da, 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 da. So I was like, OK, I don't know. For me, it was easy. I was like, I'm just going to call yeah. another place and get the thing. And it was like I invented right. <laughs> something. Right. They were like, you did the basics. I did the basics, but they <laughs> acted like they're like, how, what, what, how, how did you, I was like, I don't know. I thought it was common sense that if this one didn't work, I call around. I don't know. And they were like, oh my God, like it was mind blowing because the people that they had before me were like, oh, that doesn't work. And that's it. And I was like, wow, like to me, that was common sense. But I, now I go, then I was young and just, you know, living on my own for the first time after college. And I was like, that's when it hit me. I was like, wow, that's not common sense for everybody. Right. <laughs> like you would right. think, you know. But it's, I feel like coming into this industry, I feel like you learn, I don't know how it is now because things have shifted and changed. But for me, I felt it was really, I learned so much going into the corporate world, even though it was entertainment industry. I learned sure. so much. So did I. The bureaucracy of shit, the bullshit of shit, you know what I'm saying? Um, egos and, you know, what flies and what doesn't. But. I, and I talked about this before with, with other um, women that I had on here that were also in the music industry. We talked about that rap life. Um, there, it was that mentality because there, during that time in any industry, there weren't that many women, let mm -hmm. alone women of color. So it was like the crab in a barrel mentality. You know? Yep, I use that metaphor all the time. I'm the only one. So you can't step on my toes. I'm not going to help you. But I was very fortunate enough that there was a couple of an amazing women in rare 
positions of power that showed me the best examples. And I I was like, that's what I want to be like. How was that for you? Uh, Because I did, I tried to do some research, which alone in itself was hard to find numbers. But I saw that from a study from the 250 uh, top domestic grossing films of the year in 2019, the percentage of women producers went from 24% in 1998 to 27% in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you're in your, where you're at now, women, women of color, who did you see? Who helped you? When was there a shift, if at all? Uh, ironically, it was all white men that helped me. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. Allies. Seriously, uh, that first... That first agent I worked for at William Morris was a dick. Like he was, (laughs) he was so awful. I was, I was terrified. I was a temp on his desk, right? His, his assistant quit. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to that desk. I'm going to get fired or, but I got in there. I looked through all of their shit. I was like, okay, this is who he has lunch with every Wednesday. I'm going to call and confirm this. I'm going to do this and do this. I'm going to reorganize this. And when he came in, like he stank eyed me straight, you know, like, Give me this. And I went in there and I said to him, you know, here's this, 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 and this, and this. And he's looking at me and I said, I've been sitting down the hall for the last like month. So I know Jonathan, your former assistant. I said, please don't yell at me. (laughs) I'm a smart person. I'm capable of doing many things at one time. I'm very focused. Don't yell at me. And he said, okay. (laughs) Amazing. And girl, after that, you know, I'd have these queens from the mailroom come up and we would be on our kiki, you know, and be like, hey. And he would always like do this. And then after a while, he'd be, he'd see that we were having fun. He would come out and he would get in it, you know, and I feel like I softened him up, but he's the one that put me with culture clash. He's the one that actually said to me, um, he said to me, you will do great things. You will do great things. He's like, you just need to walk through the doors that are open for you. And um, we, his name was Bill Gross. And we, we grew apart after I started on my path. He always kind of checked in with me every once in a while. And then I hadn't spoken to him in years. And it was in 2006, I think, or end of 2005. I reached out to him through LinkedIn and he was like, Oh my God, I was just talking about you. You were my best assistant ever. And I've been <laughs> you know, trying to follow along with what you're doing. Call me on Friday. Let's have a meal. Like, let's sit down. I haven't seen you forever. And so I called, uh, on Friday and I never got a call back. And on Monday I got a, a email from his business partner that said that he passed away over the weekend. <sighs> and the last thing that I had sent him was how this email that I know he read uh, that told him how much he changed my life because oh. he, because he didn't see anything but a hard worker yeah. and didn't see anything, but somebody who could, who, who was capable, you know, they just needed the opportunity. And so that was white man, number one. <laughs> <laughs> and what a gift you were able to, that, you know, he read it before he passed. He read it. Yeah. Oh, that's a yeah. gift. Um, so he, yeah, he's always been sitting on my shoulder for sure. Because he, I'm telling you, he was a motherfucker. He was such a dick. 
which made him such a good agent. But also, <laughs> you know, there was this little soft underlying to him. And uh, one of his best friends and I are still good friends to this day. That's like awesome. we, we still keep in touch. Um, but so that was the first one. And then, um, you know, much later, like, I, you know, Jeff Valdez wasn't a white man, but, uh, you know, got me into back into TV and and then I when I hooked up with Keith uh, Raskin, he he opened another door for me and actually just trained me over the years to the point where then we became partners and and now we're doing stuff you know at the same level in different places. He's on Keenan uh, at NBC and you know I just finished a Black Lady sketch show for HBO. Dope. Um, so I give a lot of credit to those to those guys. But after some of the conversations I've had recently, um, I've given a lot of credit to those guys, but I was misplacing it because it wasn't about what they did for me. It's what I did for myself and how those doors were opened. Yeah. You can, you can see the open door, but you can be held back by fear or confident, you know, lack of confidence or any of those things. And there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, there really isn't. Um, and now, you know, working with like Robin Thede, who amazing is a showrunner and, you know, she's executive producing her own shows and stuff. And she, she's actually had to work her way to the top. Um, you know, she's got an overall deal at Warner's now. And so it, it, it was nice to be around um, this last show. My entire staff were women Ugh. of color. So dope. The you know the minorities were the two white girls that I had. Who I loved. <laughs> and and even though them like one of them, I make a joke. I'm like, well, she's from New Mexico, like <laughs> New Mexican, you know. Um, but uh, it was a rainbow of all women. My COVID nurse, um, when HBO asked me to hire someone, they gave me these candidates, and this woman, Brandy Alston. I looked at her resume and I was like, what? She is a black woman. She was a, um, air force combat medic in Afghanistan. So she has seen some shit. Please believe it. And she was working as a traveling nurse now. So she's retired from the air force working as a traveling nurse in COVID units all over the, the country. And when I interviewed her, she was in a COVID unit, um, in Texas. And she was like, she just told me this last weekend. She said, Oh my God, when you came up on that screen and I saw that red lipstick and I was like, Ooh, Hollywood people like <laughs> you know, tripping. Um, and she thought that she didn't do well in her interview, but I'm thinking I bow down to you and what you've done and yeah. what you're doing right now. And so we hired her. She got out here and she was like, girl, I wanted to quit week two. She's like, I've, I was ready to go back to Afghanistan. Y'all are something else. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out what she was really like talking about. And I said, Oh, the sense of entitlement. Oh yes. Yeah. You know, and what people complain about and whine about. I'm like, <laughs> you're worried about wearing two masks. She's like, I was a nurse and couldn't get one. I would have to put my little surgical mask in a paper bag and, and overuse it by like, <sighs> three or four days wondering if this is still working because they wouldn't give me any PPE and, you know, and we've got truckloads of it. So 
you know, it's perspective and she put things in perspective for me as well. But um, going back to just women and women of color and a whole rainbow, I had uh, one Filipino girl, one, one woman that was, um, she was Chinese and not Chinese American. She was actually Chinese and came here to go to college. Um, really, really smart woman. My production coordinator, she's from South LA. She's a badass, you know, <laughs> black woman. Um, and my production supervisor who started as a PA for me <sighs> seven years ago, she started as a PA, then she was my assistant. And then I moved her into coordinator, got her in the union. And now this was the first time she was production supervising for me. And she's, um, uh, her parents are Mexican and Guatemalan. Amazing. Right? So, like you look around and it's like, this is this conversation of, um, uh, we have to hire people of color. We have to do this. We have to grow them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel a huge responsibility for that. Cause I'm already here. Right. And I'm, I'm now getting some attention as a, a woman of color, yeah. you know, all of a sudden people want me to produce their shows and I'm like, I do the same job, <laughs> you know, no matter where I go. But when I would go to hire, it's a black lady sketch show, hire black um, hair and makeup artists. For, yeah. To handle black fucking yeah. hair. There aren't any. Ugh. Right. There's a handful yeah. and they're all booked and working. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing and wonderful. But how do we get those new people in? Right. How do yeah. we get. And so. Um, so the conversation I'm having now with a lot of diversity people, uh, you know, that that HBO has hired, um, you know, this diversity team and, and all this stuff is. I'm not trying to find the black prop master because there, there isn't one, right? I'm trying to find this white prop master who I love and does a really good job to train people, to train women yeah. and women of color, to train men of color. Like mm -hmm. you have to, we have to start growing into this industry. You can't just be like, okay, now we just have to hire all black people and call it, you know? That's not, that's not how this works. No, yeah. This is about teaching. And so when I look around and I see my team, I was like, oh, we're doing the damn thing because <laughs> I'm, I'm moving people up. Yeah. Right. I am growing them. I am moving them up. So where I didn't have that woman that was there that I looked and I'm like, I want to be like that. I'm, I have the opportunity to be that person. Please believe it. Please believe it. And you know, so you're reaching it back. I talked about it uh, with um, Joseph Patel, who they just did that movie, um, Questlove's Summer Soul, yeah. the one on, uh, you know, um, I just talked to him and we were talking about that as of color in a certain positions, you have to reach back and pull people up. And then those people reach back and have to pull people up. Like you said, you have to cultivate this talent. Right. Because so it doesn't there exist is. right now. Yeah. You know? And, and um, or it, it exists in a very, very, very small percentage. Um, and that's one of the first things that Robin and I had actually butted heads on where she's like, I need to look around and see all black people on the set. And I said, great. Can you tell me where to find them? Because <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't see them. And I've been doing this long enough where I've got crew and, you know, and if you look at my, who I bring in personally, it's a pretty good mix of people. And it includes having white men in there. You know what I mean? Like it's a mix of people. 
it's not about pushing them out. It's about inclusion. Yeah. And so I think that people lose, lose sight of that. And so I will tell you right now on this show that I just did on a black lady sketch show, I had three people who were not in the union in the hair department that we got them in the union and made sure they got their days. Right. They're in now. They have to pay their dues, take their things. They're in. I had two. Transportation is notoriously white, right? For the Teamsters. Um, Over the last 10 years or so, I saw a lot of brown, like Latino faces coming through, which is amazing. Nice. Very, very few black people in the Teamsters. Very few. I think maybe the, the, uh, There's like three guys that are my brother-in-law's brothers, right? That, <laughs> like I know those three guys. That's it. Um, but we got um, our cast van driver, Yolanda. She was driving motor coaches back and forth to Vegas. So she has her license and all that. We got her her days. Black woman in the Teamsters. Duh. Her son, Richard, um, who is a truck driver, has all of his licenses to do everything. Just needed a show, an opportunity, got him his days. That's another black man in 399, right? Um, Same thing in makeup. We got two girls that, like these two women who are fantastic at makeup, never had the opportunity to get in. These unions make it so hard. And so even for me with DGA, like they're still fighting me and don't want me in there. You know, they count my days. Uh, <laughs> but that's okay because I'm finding ways around, around it. Right. Um, and eventually they'll put me in the right spot in the DGA, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, you can't as a union or as an organization say, we're all about inclusion or, you know, we, we want to start this initiative. It, it's okay. Listen to me. It's about <laughs> starting people down here who work their way up and get experience. You can't take somebody and set them up to fail by putting them in a position that they're not ready for. Exactly. You can't because you know what happens? That's when they turn around and say, see, I told you. Right. And we we can't have that. Nope. No. No. You got to set them up for success. Absolutely. And that means training. Training. Yeah. And, and also just knowing that, you know, that the, these, that there's all these different types of jobs. Like maybe you didn't know that you could be a driver and right. be in the union or all these different things. And I don't know if you heard it. If you have, I'm definitely going to send you a link. My friend produces this one podcast called Sisters Brunch, Sisters Who Brunch. And it's about black women in the entertainment industry. And it started like, I think they did like a brunch thing, but now they have a podcast. So you hear these stories on how, you know, the hustle to try to get into these jobs that, you know, like that they didn't even know were opportunities where the white kid comes <laughs> and knows like a lot of shit going down. And I feel like it's about education, um, you know, just information. <laughs> Mentorship. You got to be available for these people, Yeah, you know? Yeah. You have to be available. Um, Cause that, that's one of the things that sort of, touched me, but also broke my heart a little bit. There was a a young lady that came through a friend of mine who had reached out and said, all I want to do is be able to ask you some questions. I've looked at your career. You're where I would like to, where I see myself and like to be. Would you mind jumping on the phone with me for a little bit? And I said, I was like, sure. 
You know, I do that all the time. And, um, so she called me, we had a really nice conversation about like an hour. And then, um, when a position opened up, when we went back into production, I told, told my COVID team, I was like, you guys need PAs, call this girl, get her in here. She came in, she hustled her ass off, worked her butt off, like really worked hard. Like I could see it. Right. And then her, her bosses were telling me, Oh, thank you so much for faith. Like she's amazing. And I said, all I did was give her the opportunity, right? Yeah. You just open the door. It's there for you, but you got to, you got to hustle when you get in there. Right. And which she did. Um, so where was I going to, Oh, when we wrapped the day that we wrapped there was, and I looked at them two little Brown faces, her <laughs> and this other kid, um, who were brand new first time they've worked on a show. And I said, so what's, what's up? How was your experience or whatever? And they're like, Oh my gosh, we love this so much. And we're going to the next show with Kathy with who they were working for. And I was like, Oh, great. I was like, that's awesome. And I said, well, don't go too far away. You know, and the next thing I get, I'd love to have you guys back. And they said, thank you so much for um, talking to us. And I was like talking to you. And they're like, yeah, but taking the time, like we know that you have all this stuff going on here, but thank you for, for talking to us and, um, and seeing us. And that to me was like, that's all I need to hear. Yeah. Cause they're excited and they, they have opportunity and they're going to use it. Yeah. They're not that PA that wouldn't put a safety vest on. And then when I told him, put it on or leave, he was like, Oh, what? Like, I don't have a hundred other jobs. Peace. Deuces. <laughs> uh, you know, the the contrast yes. of that kid with these two kids of like, we just want to get, get in here. And the one number one question I get asked all the time, especially by like young uh Latinx kids, is were your parents in the business? Who did you know? Who 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 was that? I didn't know anybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If you if you call my brother right now. <laughs> He's sitting at his desk. He's got three Emmys sitting behind him. I have one. We are two kids. My dad worked at the post office for his career. And he was a musician, but his day job was the post office. Um, And my mom stayed at home with us and then worked part-time at the school in the cafeteria. Right? Those are my parents. Yeah. He said, no one. (laughs) They said, work or go to college. What are we going to do? You know, it wasn't yeah. that like you're going to apply to eight schools and do yeah. it wasn't that because that wasn't their experience growing up. Right. Yeah. And, um, and we had a roof overhead and we always had food in our bellies and, um, my parents worked very hard to give us a good life, but they didn't. Now I'm working to give my mom that good life. Yeah. You know, I, everything I do now, I think of like, how can I make her more comfortable and, and better? My, my dad's gone now, but like, you know, I didn't have that uncle, that aunt, that parent in the business. This was pure drive and hustle. Yeah. And you work hard. You work hard. Do you want to support original content that supports diverse voices why not support Word to Your Mama? You're listening to it right now. Become a patron. Head over to patreon.com slash WTYM. There are four patron levels to choose from, including Good Looking Out, I'm Down, 
Hell yeah, and please believe it. Benefits include patron shout-outs, exclusive patron-only content, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash WTYM to take your support to the next level. Gracias. You work hard. And, and it, it, people, I think a lot of people don't understand, and I'm trying to instill this into the supernatural bear. It's like, your word is bond. Yep. You show with via your actions as well, right? And that nothing else matters. You just always have to do your best, no matter who's looking, no matter who gives you praise for it. You always do your best because that's you're reaching for your personal excellence. Yeah. And that's all you could do, right? Yep. And I, and that's why I try to tell him, like, show him, like, always do your best. Because he'll be like, is, is teacher such and such going to, is this for teacher such and such? Because we homeschool, right? But he has, like, some classes. And I was like, it doesn't matter who it's for. It doesn't matter who's going to see it. You always do your best. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of people that, like, oh, I'm only going to hustle because such and such is watching. Oh, I'm only going to hustle. Like, it should be your life. Always do your best, no matter what. Yeah. So. And, and that's one thing I, I did want to talk to you about, your Emmy. How <laughs> was that? Was it like something you always reached for, something you didn't care about? And then when it happened, how was that? You looked, fu- also, you looked amazing. You always look amazing. But on that day, <laughs> saw the pictures, you and Carlos, uh, moi, amazing. Thank you. Um, you know, I never thought it was possible. It was one of those things that you saw, you know, growing up. Again, I wasn't on that trajectory to like TV, you know, career. Um, But as I got into it, it was like something that other people got, you know, wasn't really attainable. Um, But as soon as I started working with Keegan and Jordan uh, on Key and Peele, those guys are some on some other shit. Like (laughs) I've not seen it since to me quite honest, like what they were able to do. Um, you can pull any sketch right now, any sketch from the last four seasons. Still hold up. I, I wasn't on the first season and you could be like, Oh, that acapella sketch, you know, where they, and I'd be like, Oh yeah, we were at mission college. I remember that day our <laughs> van got stolen. I, you know, like I, it is so ingrained. I was so in the moment there that I just sucked all of it in. And so when we got nominated the first year and got beat by Amy Schumer, I was a little pissed. <laughs> um, and, you know, people are like, oh, it's an honor to be nominated. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> but like you want to win, right? That moment, I will never forget sitting there when they called us. It was so surreal. Um, it was so surreal. And going up on that stage, like you don't think that <laughs> – there's millions of people across the world, not even the country, the world, like watching. Um, and to some people, they didn't know who that show was. So it didn't matter (laughs) to other people who were like, yes, that show deserves everything. Um, but the producers, uh, Ian Roberts and Jay Martell, the two executive producers were, you know, plus Keegan and Jordan as the other executive producers were the most collaborative, um, most collaborative, people you could ever work with. And so everything in that Emmy means everything to me because of them. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was there to facilitate their vision, but we really worked together to make it happen. And um, I remember that the Emmy uh, billboards for that, that year, they had some big billboards down on Beverly that said, if you don't vote for us, you're racist. And I was <laughs> Love it. Because Love that it, campaign. Kind of starting, right? That's when it, the whole thing was kind of starting of like, yeah. where are all the black folks at? Where are the people coloring <laughs> here, you know? Yeah. So, um, so to win for that means a lot. Um, never thought it was possible. Now, my younger brother, Mark, um, has three for Queer Eye. Amazing. And him being a gay man winning for Queer Eye was also the same type of thing where it's like, we never thought, and then I went with him both times uh, last year, obviously there was no Emmys, but, um, and we have this thing where I'm like, we're basically one-to-one because you can't win more than once for the same show or it doesn't count. (laughs) So the score is one-to-one, it's tied. Yeah. But Mark and I, when we were kids used to sit on, because we were latchkey kids, right? My mom would go part-time work in the summer and he and I would sit on the couch foot to foot, one blanket, and um, always had some sort of baked good, some <laughs> muffins or cupcakes or something. And we would just watch TV. Like, that was just our thing, right? Yeah. It was like, do you want to go outside and play? We're like, nope, because what's happening is on right now. And, you know, and I always wondered, I was like, why are you such a sad, like, after two glasses of wine, I'm like, why are you such a sassy gay man? You turn into a black woman. He was like, oh, <laughs> because I was raised by uh, Florence. <laughs> Made. I was raised by, um, uh, I forgot what it was, Dee Dee and what's happening. Like, you know, that's, and that's what we watched. So then the night that he won the first one, uh, Carlos came and my mom, we were at the London hotel and I'd stayed over in my brother's room. And the next day Carlos brought my Emmy and we recreated our childhood sitting on the sofa with one blanket. We ordered some muffins from um, from the hotel and we had a little basket of muffins between us and we were like watching TV and we took this picture. And I wish we would have had that picture as kids because that night I remember him looking at me being like, we're two little Mexican Puerto Rican kids from Eagle Rock. Like, what are we doing? And I said, we're winning. That's what we're doing. Winning. Yes. Um. So I'm hopeful, you know, I'd love a black lady sketch show to get some love. Yes. You know, I think that people haven't really discovered it um, yet. Maybe now with pandemic viewing, they've kind of gone through it because there's only 7,000 shows on TV and accessible, but, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see where this goes. I think there's another one in my future. I can feel it. I don't know if it's going to be this possible. This show is the one I would hope it is. But, um, but I need to, I need to break this. You need a beat <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You need a beat That That's amazing. And, and, and TV so special. Like the Supernatural Bear always jokes. He's like, you know, cause my mom was raised by TV, you know, and it's true. Yeah. I was latchkey kid or, um, you know, I just hated where I lived and what was happening. So TV was my TV and music was my escape. And what so. Was your- where were you raised by? I, w- I was, ra- I remember vividly, like my earliest memory is like my mom and I were on welfare. So my daily lunch was uh, Campbell's chicken soup, noodle soup, 
and uh, a little bit, um, half a piece of whatever bread they were giving us, you know, on food stamps and that American cheese in the plastic. Uh And then I'd watch uh, Perry Mason and Andy Griffith show. So Uh uh, mad years ago, I don't know, like 10 or 12 years ago, I was like, why do I love Law and Order so much? It calms (laughs) me down. (laughs) It calms me down. And then like, you know, Law Law and Order regular is off, but like SVUs is still on. And, you know, Rock would be like, you love this show. Like it calms you down. I was like, I wish it was a show. There was a channel where it was just on 24 seven because something about it calms me down. I was like, what is my root? My root is Perry Mason. Since uh-huh. I was four years old watching Perry Mason. But it, uh, any show, because we didn't have that many. We didn't have, like, all the choices before, right? So it right. was, like, all the shows. Uh, the Carol Burnett show. Like, anything and everything that was on. And then as soon as MTV. <laughs> oh, forget it. Yeah. Forget it. I will watch that shit all day long. But yeah. TV is it's such a, it's so special to me. And to be at a time where before, you know. I think you you saw the shift, of course. Actors would never fathom being on a TV series. It would be like beneath them, right? Oh, now it's like... They now all... it's like quality fucking shit. Like yeah. I can't keep up of the quality. So it's, it's, a, it's a great time and I love it so much. And I love movies and, you know, I love award season times because I get to watch all the panels, the writers t- round table, the, you know, the actors, directors, like, I, like, I love it all. I consume it all. Like, I feel yeah. like I have like a BA in watching all that type of shit. So yeah, TV was, I think it's for our generation, our age brackets was a huge, it really raised us. Yeah. And, uh, and they're classics. The, the one thing I didn't, I hated was MASH. As soon as I heard that theme, I had a bounce. I couldn't. You know what's funny is I had a, I had this CD. This was back when I was working on Brothers Garcia. I had the CD of um, TV theme songs, right? Yeah. And I put it, I put it on, and the theme song from Barney Miller started right with that bass line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this guy walks into my office. He's like, "No, no, turn it off, turn it off." And I was like, "Why?" And he goes, "Because that means it's time for me to go to bed." <laughs> Right, right. You know, like he was just like, I couldn't watch it. And then years, years later, Carlos actually got really into Barney Miller and started watching, you know, those things. Cause he was like, it was pretty edgy, you know, white shadow, very edgy. Yeah. Um, and, and when I'm going back to the Perry Mason thing for you, or even SVU is what makes kind of sense with your background socially and like where you've come from and what you connected with and, and who you are now and how it's shaped you is that it's very clear to me that, um, justice and resolution have always been important to you Yes, and given you hope. Yes. And those type of shows, Perry Mason always got his man, right? Yes. Is that, that was the thing. And same thing with, with law and order, they always have resolution. There's always justice. And so I can see how somebody like you would connect with things in that vein because it really shaped who you are and what you believe as a person. That's very and, insightful. And um, for me with comedy, you know, my agent's like, speaking of Perry Mason, my agent was like, hey, they're looking for a producer on Perry Mason. And my first reaction is, oh, hell no, that's all night shoots. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. I, work nice. I hate doing overnight shoots. But uh, also, I'm like, I'm a half hour comedy person. Like, yeah. I'm a comedy person. I, I love the laughter. I love 
Um, and, and again, because that's what I connected with as a kid, like for me, sassy humor, right? The Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley. You know what I mean? Shirley on what's happening. Sassy. Florence. The Jeffersons. Sassy. Sassy. Golden Girls. All of them sassy. Like that kind of comedy I really, really connect with. And so my dream job is to have, uh, to be on that kind of, like, I would love to go back in time and work on the Golden Girls because I know what it feels like to be on set and laugh every day. And um, here's here's something kind of crazy. Paul Younger Wit, do you know who he is? If, if you start going back and watching all the TV shows from that time period, you'll see it was him and Norman Lear, right? Mm-hmm. Those were the two. Uh, but Paul Younger Wit and his wife, uh, Susan Harris. Susan Harris wrote most of the Golden Girls. Oh, wow. He was the executive producer on it. Um, and um, my brother and I always looked up to him. Like, you see that name. It was burned into my brain. Um, when Carlos and I started dabbling around with art publishing with Richard, um, we did the, the piece with the phantom with, right. Yeah. And I had that piece framed and in my, uh, I did a a movie called the garden. No, what did it end up being called? It was called the gardener when we did it. it was with Demian Bashir, um, if you've not seen this movie, no. it's so relevant. You should watch it now because it's pretty awesome. Um, uh, a Better Life. That's what it was called. Okay. Demian Bashir plays a migrant um, day worker. You know, like, anyway. Um, Paul Younger Witt was oddly a producer on that show, mm-hmm. on that movie. Him and, like, Jamie Gertz. Like, the weirdest producing <laughs> team. Ever. Jamie Gertz. And he walked in and I was gobsmacked because I was like, he's a TV legend. Yeah. What is he doing on this little immigrant movie, right? <laughs> he looked at that piece and he said, where did you get that? And I said, oh, actually, my husband and I published the piece. He took, actually took this photo uh, on the side of a wall in Beverly back in the 90s. And we turned the photo into a screen print with the artist. And he's like... I'd love, I'd love to have one. Can I buy one? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so Carlos and I, um, Carlos was freaked out too. He, we were just like, what? <laughs> and there was a bit of a connection. His son, uh, was, went to college and was good friends with, um, a Japanese American artist. And I can't remember his name right now. I was going to say, Tajin. <laughs> yeah, Tajin. His son went to college with him and was friends with him. And so he was like really starting to explore street art and just art in general, right? For the younger generation. And um, and he really loved this piece and spoke to him. So Carlos and I wrapped one up and we went to his office. He he asked if we would del- you know drop it off personally. And so we went and we sat in his office and um we had that moment of like all worlds colliding, (laughs) all worlds colliding. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Now I remember it was his son, right? That was, that was friends with him. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that was like a weird, wow. How did all these worlds come (laughs) together? You know? And so um, when I start drawing all the lines, all lines go back to Richard Dordo. Wow. Did you like immediately call your brother? 
Oh yeah. No, <laughs> you're like, never gonna guess where I'm sitting outside of right now. Um, and we have those moments, right? Uh, it was just really recently Kim Wayans was was on our show. Amazing. And my brother and I had this joke about little magic <laughs> yes. you know, forever. <laughs> And I was like, Kim Wayans is here. You know, I'd call him or when you geek out on stuff. Oh and it's God. the weirdest thing. Raj. Raj from What's Happening. Oh, my goodness. Tiffany Haddish was a PA on this show I was doing uh, years ago. Uh, she was working as a PA. And, um, and so we were in this production meeting and they were wanted to cast somebody for this specific role. And someone said, Oh, Raj, Raj from what's happening would be amazing. And she, she's a PA sitting in the back room. She's like, Oh, y'all want to talk to Raj? He lives in my building. <laughs> he do shit. We're like, Wait, what? <laughs> she was I, funny back then. Uh, so she that. called him and then he gets the part, right? He's doing this part. It was a show called just Jordan, um, on Nickelodeon. And we're in the lunch line. And I remember calling my brother. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm dying right now. I'm dying because I'm standing next to Raj from what's happening. And this is like the best thing ever. I'm like so excited. And I turn around and he's right here. Oh my God. Right in my face, like five inches from me. He was like, that is the sweetest thing I've ever heard. He's like, you just made me feel so good. And I was like, I'm just really excited that you're here. And I don't fangirl out yeah, normally, except from something like that, who's like, from your childhood. Because I know him, right? Like, yeah. I, I know his sister. I know his mom. <laughs> he was a latchkey kid like me. Exactly. You know, I know Wayne. Like, <laughs> it's that connection that you make. So, again, going back to your Perry Mason and, and those things, like, it really shapes who you are. You it know, does. I don't know how it's going to work now with kids, but um, yeah, at that time of television was really special. Yes. It, it was, it, it was like how they say, when you read a book, it becomes a part of you. Yeah. These shows, cause we didn't have that many options. <laughs> Only a couple of channels, three channels, maybe, maybe the UFC, the, I mean, if you get it yeah. to work right, a local channel or something and that's it. You better and have pliers to change the channel. The pl- I was just talking about the pliers <laughs> and I was telling the supernatural pair, I was like, I didn't, I wasn't spoiled. So for the longest time, I had a black and white TV, (laughs) even though color TVs were already a thing. Like I had, so it didn't matter that Perry Mason and all those shows were in black and white because my TV was black and white anyways (laughs) until I got the color. Right. Um, And then going back to Kim Wayans, that show, I was in junior high when that show came out and I was just talking about it the other day because that's, I, she's problematic for me and I don't care, but I love that show so much. And every, you know, well, I don't forget what day went on. What was a Saturday or Sunday? And then you go to school and everyone would re- reenact all that things. Right. Or hit but, you with, with a sock. Yeah. And so <laughs> with every Christmas, I, I, I sing the, I sing her and um, what's when they go five bowls of, I do the whole every Christmas. <laughs> like it's, and he knows it. Like it's my favorite fucking shit. And like, I can't imagine being in her presence. Is she as lovely and as awesome as you hope she would be? Yeah, she was great. <sighs> she was, she had so much fun. And, um, and it was a very, very hard day. Cause we were up at Calamigos ranch in Malibu and it was, there was a windstorm. So we were trying to be funny and not die. Um, 
it was crazy. And it was really cold and they were supposed to, to, you know, they're in t-shirts and stuff. So they were troopers, her especially. She was really funny and committed. I, I, I was, I was very excited. Her and then uh, Kim Coles, the day oh, we did with Kim Coles. I know the dances in the beginning, yeah. big Les. Oh my God. It was just yeah. uh, quality. And right. also I was talking to Raka. It's a shame for reasons we all know that I can't show the supernatural bear the Cosby show and show him yeah. like how much it meant to us. Like, yeah. You know, and how like, you know, when they would pretend that they were uh, asking for rent and they moved all, of, you know, of Theo's shit out and stuff like 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 those are the things that shaped us and, uh, you know, different world. And like, it was just like, I feel bad that I can't share that. But everything else, sure. But that it's it's it, it saddens me kind of. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It hurts. It, it hurts. hurts. It hurts. Um, so I know. I know I, had, I said, you know, I had you for an hour and a half. I, I have some questions from the audience. Do we have time for that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Sweet. Okay. So questions from the audience. The first one is from a wonderful and gorgeous creator and writer. Her name is Sean Serino. Her question is, what's the biggest piece of advice that you would give to a writer creator who wants to get their work seen and or collab with others in the industry? You know, the whole development part and sales part of the business has been something I haven't dove too deeply in personally. Um, I do have a couple projects with my brother right now that we're thinking about and we're, we're thinking the same, same kind of question, right? Yeah. Um, I, and I still believe this, um, think that people respond better when you can show them your vision. And it's, it's hard now because of the short attention span to thing. It's like, Oh, how do I get someone to read this script? I'm like, Oh, they're they trying to spend 20 minutes reading your script. You know what I mean? It's really hard. I, I'm like, when you talk about collaborating, find like-minded people that are like, let's, let's shoot one scene, you know, let's show them what this could be. Um, let's let, you have to be able to put those, those words to life for people. Um, that's one way is to shoot something short, you know, to go with the script, to give them a taste, shoot the best possible thing that you can. Um, and it doesn't need to be, you know, uh, I don't have $150,000 to shoot one day kind of situation, but it's like really connecting with other artists and people who are like down, you yeah. know, I I've had to, I've done that, um, where I shot a, a little, like an eight minute piece for a kid's show that we wanted to do. And I just found somebody who was like, Oh my God, I'd love to direct this. Great. Here's my director. And then who do we know that's got two cameras and who's messing around with some editing software, you know, and you find all these up and coming people that want to share their art as well and yeah. try to, to connect yourself with those people. So that's, that's one way. Um, the other way, which I still am going down the path of it needs to be very visual is when you have a script put together, um, almost like a lookbook, so mm. you get five, you get the people need to visually see stuff. I think the, the days of selling just a script on like that are very limited, yeah. not impossible. And I don't discourage it, but, um, I feel like 
whenever I've been able to put something visual in front of people, the response is better because it's like, oh, let me see what this is about. And then they go in and they read. They see you help them see the vision as much as possible. Yeah. And however that is for you, you know what I mean? Um, I've actually had, um, somebody tell me recently that what they did is they grabbed some like amazing actors over zoom or some online platform and they did a table read. Ah. So you can kind of see how everything's flowing. Those things are really important. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my advice. Visual, like any, any kind of aid, um, to get them interested in reading. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing. Um, cause I know listening to, um, Hassan Minha, 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 I Minaj, I messed up his name. Yeah, Minaj. Um, he was saying that he did the entire first show. He just like was like got the graphics people, da da da, and he just yeah. got it all together. Yeah. To do that instead of like this is what I want to pitch, he was like, oh, what is it? He's like, oh, here it is. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, and Issa, same thing, Issa Rae. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so usually it's only questions from the audience, but today it's special. Today it's questions and comments from the audience. Okay. So this comment, Linda is a true leader. She finds the right people to do the job, and then she lets them do their jobs. She ensures that her film crew is run well by making sure everyone's needs are met and that every person who works for her is taken care of. Linda typically rolls with the same crew because after working for Linda, they remain fiercely loyal to her. Linda is driven by excellence, not her ego, and her crew immediately picks up on that and the results are a reflection of that. Oh, that's nice. That's from your beautiful <laughs> husband. Uh. <laughs> My biggest fan. <laughs> Your love is so cute. Right. I was I was telling him too when I reached out. I was like, "Listen, I do this thing, and I, I like to you know have people that either know the person I'm interviewing or they're in the same industry. Like have some questions or sure. you know comments or harassing stories or whatever. And so when I reached out to him, it was just this beautiful you know. Uh, statement on you. So I, I love it. And I told them, I was like, you guys are the cutest. You guys always been, I, you feel the love when you guys post or, you know, I see pictures or videos of you. And when I see you in person and, and I can't wait for the, the, the pandemic to, for it to be safe. So yes. we can like break bread again and, and, and stuff like that. Um, now let's get into the not so rapid fire questions, the AKA slow as hell questions. First one, okay. three words to describe yourself. Me, uh, uh, loyal, mm-hmm. very loyal. Um, uh, trusting to a fault, <laughs> uh, and spontaneous. Nice. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice I ever received, uh, if you get asked to do something and you don't know how to do it, say you do and figure it out. <laughs> uh, next one. What are you doing to dismantle the patriarch? I think you answered that a lot already, but what else? You have to be the change, mm-hmm. right? Don't talk about it. Be about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Um, that that's, that's really where it comes from. And, you know, this whole thing on like being a Latinx 
woman and like all this stuff. I don't want to be, here's the, the thing that's a little crazy. I don't want to be looked at and singled out as this person. Yeah. Don't, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not about to dismantle you. I'm about to make room so I could be on that mantle. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I'm not trying to take you down. I'm just trying to get there so that we're equal. Yeah. And that to me is more important than pulling everything down and rebuilding. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 this is, this is here. Yeah. It's going to be here. Yeah. So you know what you do is you get up there with them. Infiltrate. And, and that's that to me is more important than tearing things down is to like build yourself up. You focus on yourself and not what they're doing. You focus on trying to to be at that same level. Yeah. You work hard and you get there. Boom. That's how you win. Love that. Love that. Okay. So what is the song that gets you hyped when you need it? When you need that oomph? We need the extra motivation. God. Okay, this is so crazy. It's like, it's it's like a. a okay, don't make fun of me. I won't. Never. But I have to ask Carlos because every time it comes on, I make a video of myself singing it in the car. <laughs> every time it comes on, and it's like a, a freestyle song. What is that song, Bay? They give me a call, boo. Call me? Is it call me? How does it go? Sing it right now. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like last night. Or I think of you. I want to be your friend. Hey, baby, baby, it's a game. It's all. Give me a call. That's, that's, a, my that's a really good song. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Ghost Town DJ. Ghost Town DJ yes. My yes. <laughs> I don't care where I am. If I'm in the middle of Target and that shit comes on, I will act a fool. <laughs> it's just what I do. Amazing. That song. So, so you know, my mom passed away early, and then the my uh, she's like my sister now. Her friends, her her family took me in, and they're from the Bay. So everyone I met is from the Bay in college. They became my crew. So I'd spend a lot of time up in the Bay, and when we drive, I swear to God, every fucking single time we get into Bay Range of KMEL, that song would come on. Yep. They love that fucking song up there. Like, I love it, but it reminds me of the Bay. So I love that yeah, song. That's special. I don't know special. why. It's just sort of a party um, <laughs> party thing for me, and it's stupid, and I just want cha-cha heels and big hair. And It's it's great. It's good time. It's a house party. <laughs> okay, last question. What will be your legacy? What will be my legacy? Um, the first thing that comes to my head are these five women I'm working with right now, my crew, Kernisha, Wyatt, Emily Aldana, um, Katie Cordero, Gabriela Garcia, and Hannah Johnson. That's my legacy. Amazing. Yeah. Cause what they do from here on in, I think is the reflection of me. Yeah. Yeah. Me a little emotional because I love them. That's amazing. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. A little mistiness. It's, you know what? Because it's, it means a lot because we don't have it. Right. And it means a lot. So thank you so much, Linda, for taking the time. I love learning so much more about you and it makes me love you even more. So. Uh, Thank you, you. And I so do much. Miss you and I love 
I love that you asked me to do this. It was just great to have just a chat and, you know, to see your face and know that you're still doing your thing. Um, You know, it's crazy times. We got to do what we got to do. But this has been an amazing thing that, um, you know, I started in the during the pandemic and I just get to reconnect with all my amazing people that maybe I haven't talked to, spoken to in a while. And to share the the awesomeness that you guys are all doing and to to also just kind of sprinkle some wisdom, some insight um, and and just, you know keep it moving and, and inspire as many people as possible. And so I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. <laughs> <laughs> keep doing the do girl. Keep doing it. Thank you. Your industry is loud and congested. How will you cut through the noise while maintaining brand integrity? Regardless of how talented and creative your core team is, nearly all businesses need some level of support in order to communicate their message. From brand identity and graphic design to experiential and digital, let the team at Ritzy Periwinkle help you speak your mind and translate rough thoughts into captivating action. Visit ritzyperiwinkle.com today to schedule a no-cost 30-minute consultation to discuss the best creative strategies for your business. That's R I. T-Z-Y-P-E-R-W-I-N-K-L-E.com. Ritzy Periwinkle. Let's build. And now, introducing the Supernatural Bear Corner. Supernatural Bear Hello, this is SMB16, and um, at the time of this recording, it's March, and I just wanted to give a big thanks to all the ladies. Um, no one could really survive without ladies, because they're amazing moms. Ding, ding, ding. And also, think about it. Think about it, guys, who are ungrateful for the ladies and my mama. What? I'm, well, you know, males would never have existed if it weren't for one lady who had a boy for the first time. That is the truth. And that's what's up. So, give it up for the ladies! Yeah! 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 Come on! Yeah! This has been SMB. Should we do? Yeah. There it is, folks. Episode 22, Linda Morale. I told you. Just dope people on this show. I'm very blessed. And as I'm getting into the 20s, of episode number of episodes of this podcast, Word to Your Mama, that I started in September during the pandemic. It is kind of like that old school show, This Is Your Life. People come in and I'm invite, I'm thinking of all the different people that have contributed in some way to my life, impacted my life, and I, I reach out 
And maybe I talk to him on the reg, maybe I don't. But I reach out regardless and I'm like, hey, I'm doing this, such and such, blah, blah, blah. Um, Would you come on? And then I get to reconnect. I get to learn more about their amazing stories. Just, I got dope people on here. And then I find out how much doper they are, right? They're like next level. And that's Linda right there. So... It's it's amazing for me, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making it all the way over here to the end. How cute is my little man, the supernatural bear? And um, let, let's let's keep it let's keep it moving. Until next time, we reap. Word to your mama is owned and produced by Ritz P. Word to your mama theme intro is. Produced by Nico Beats. And as always, Word to Your Mama is brought to you by RitzyPerryWinkle.com and Panoply BPO 